This is Detroit Today. I'm Stephen Henderson, and thanks for being here. Farai Chidea is a public radio commentator, a contributor to Nate Silver's 538 blog, and an author. WDET News Director Jerome Vaughn recently spoke with Chidea when she was in town for her new book, The Episodic Career. Here is their conversation. My name is Farai Chidea. The title of my book is The Episodic Career. The subtitle is uh, How to Thrive at Work in the Age of Disruption. I'm also a professor at NYU, professor of journalism. Tell me just a little bit about how you got on at, uh, to teach at New York University. Well, how I started teaching at New York University is something that actually I, I describe in, in the book, The Episodic Career, which is that I set myself a goal of after I had been laid off from NPR from when News & Notes uh, ended, uh, I went and I taught at Harvard, but it was a one semester teaching fellowship. And then when that was wrapping up, I set myself a goal of reaching out to three people a day and just saying, I'm looking for new adventures. And, you know, I'm open to journalism and non-journalism. And that's, you know, a, a connection found me. She was like, you have two weeks to apply for this job. And so it's a real testament to networks. And I really think that one of the things I've been really lucky to have in life are strong networks and also ones where even if I don't see someone for two, three, four years, we still have a connection. And that's that's important to me personally, but in the job market, it's also important. Well, why is it so important in the job market these days? Well, we are going through this weird transformation where both globalization and what's called disruptive innovation, meaning technology and automation, are really stripping away jobs. And and some people even talk about the so-called jobless future. I don't believe that's going to happen, but that would be the time where all the robots do all the work and we sit around drinking daiquiris all day. That's not going to happen. But what is happening is that there's a much more rapid cycle of job creation and job destruction. And so the average job now lasts only 4.4 years. You know, people used to think of that good paying job that you could settle into for 20, 30, 40 years. And for most people, that's just not a reality. Um, And so networks, to, to bring back the circle, networks are the glue that holds your economic future together. Um, Whether that means networking with people at your church or faith community, um, networking with family, networking with people who you've gone to school with, whether you're a blue-collar worker, white-collar worker, whatever kind of worker. Um, networking is how you find out where there are jobs. And it's important to not be shy about it. You don't want to be that creep who's always, like, calling people, like, five times a day, like, you got me a job yet? You got me a job yet? But you want to be that person who is engaged and who stays in touch and who's a little bit ahead of the game. You don't want to wait till a job is posted because a lot of times by the time a job is posted, it's actually filled. They're just posting it as a formality. So you want to be that person who really is ahead of the game. How much work is it to keep that network going? It's a lot of work. But the other option is to be un- unemployed or underemployed for a lot of people. You know, there has been declining uh, a declining labor participation rate for most Americans Um, And that is partly because a lot of people who got laid off during the Great Recession were never able to find steady work again. So there's people who drift in and out of the the labor economy. And um, 
if you don't want to be one of those people, you have to tend your garden. I think of it as tending your garden. You know, you get in there, you pull the weeds out. And and by pulling the weeds out, that can mean a lot of things. First of all, uh, for most people, not everyone, but for most people, having some kind of an online uh, platform is useful, meaning a, a presence on LinkedIn or, or some other job site so that you just, you know, have this contact database out in the cloud. But then it's also about saying to yourself, in all honesty, like, is my job going to be around in five years? What do I know about my industry? What do I know about my company? Is it healthy? You know, you, you've got to pay attention to these things or else, you know, you can get caught unawares. One of the things that you talk about in your book a good deal is about how difficult it is for young people to get a job, folks who have just come out of college. Um, why are they having such a hard time finding work, especially if they have a degree? And what sorts of things do you think they should do to move forward? Well, you know, now that I teach at the college level, including both undergraduate and graduate students, I teach my classes, my journalism classes, as a full-on multimedia format. And some of the students don't really enjoy it. Um, some of them absolutely love it, but it means that by the end of the class, they know basic web page design. They know audio editing and recording because I love audio. And also audio is a very – it's a burgeoning field in a lot of places with, you know, po- both commercial podcast, non-commercial podcast, public and commercial radio – and there's not a lot of growth in, in journalism overall, but um, audio is doing well. And I also teach, you know, I teach them a lot of different multimedia skills because I say no matter whether you end up working in a corporation, working in a media organization, working for yourself, you'll be able to use this because I love knowledge for the sake of knowledge. I was an English literature major. I was reading Toni Morrison and Shakespeare. But um, I also feel very strongly that skills-based learning today is more important than ever and that um, you want to combine the sort of open-mindedness of um, liberal arts and arts education with strong skills. So if you know how to create web pages, you can get a job. It might not be the, the exact job you want, but you will be able to work and support yourself when you graduate from college. If you can do audio engineering, if you can do computer programming. So I really feel like today, college students who don't have the luxury of having a trust fund should really think about building some skills education into whatever they do. Like one of the people who I work with at 538, um, who's a, a database, you know, genius, he was a dual um, uh, philosophy, let me get this right, philosophy and computer science major. So he, you know, he fed his soul, but he also learned some really practical skills. And the practical skills are the ones that are keeping him, you know, in, in shoes and rent. Uh, are we teaching enough of those practical skills? And, and I guess let me maybe flip it around and saying for those uh, students or former students who are having a hard time finding that job, ha- has their education failed them in some way? I think that there is a disconnect in the university. I mean, because, for example, when I was an English major, I was so passionate about it. And my mom just kind of yanked me up and she said, 
you know, what do English majors do? And so that ended up leading me into journalism because I realized I was following a passion that did have a lot of possibilities. English majors can be anything, but that I needed to start thinking practically and getting those internships. So I think that some students have a better shot at getting internships than others for many reasons, including geography. You know, if you're at a town you know, a college town in the middle of nowhere, it's going to be harder for you to find internships during the semester, but you can you can travel during the summer. And so internships are really important. And I think that the question of whether universities are failing students, um, I've been to some great schools at all levels from, you know, community college to fancy university, who really understand keeping keeping track of where jobs are and making sure that they have good career counseling. And I've been at some some universities, even ones that are considered very prestigious, that don't pay enough attention to that and leave their students with huge amounts of debt that they'll, they'll never really be able to pay off. Let's take a minute and, and pivot a bit to the economy. You do a lot of reporting on the economy. Where do you see the economy in the U.S. is generally these days? I think that we have a very stratified economy, and and I'll break it down a few different ways. Um, first is by job category, second is by race, and third is by region. So job category, you have what's called disruptive innovation with new companies and new models, you know, eliminating old ones. So Uber has disrupted the cab industry across the country and in some places across the world. A New York City taxi medallion used to be worth $1.3 million. Now it's worth um, less than 700000 which means people who took out these mortgage-style um, financing to get a taxi medallion, they are in deep trouble because they mortgage their future on a model that is no longer as viable as it was. It's not that cabs aren't viable, but they're not worth as much as they used to be. And so what's happened with a lot of disruptive innovation is that money is flowing into more concentrated pockets. So the people who have stock in Uber, you know, or own Uber, they're they're doing just fine. Um, the same thing for a lot of, you know, a lot of tech companies, you know, if you are a programmer there or if you are, I mean, a lot of places that are doing really well um, are giving stock options to their employees and that raises their, their financial future possibilities greatly, even more than the salary. Um, But then there's sort of the breaking even category of jobs, you know, a lot of, a lot of different types of jobs uh, are ones where, not much has changed. I mean, uh, restaurant ownership in a lot of places is one example of a break even. Um, in some places, city and municipal workers are breaking even. In other places, like we saw in Wisconsin, people's futures have been changed by you know, an, an aggressive change in, in pension systems and benefits. And then there's jobs that are declining, like basically um, the the value of manual labor continues to decline. And the reality is that um, there's always going to be a need for manual labor, but in part because of uh, there's just a lot of really shady practices that go on with people hiring day laborers, both American and um, people who are here legally who are not American and undocumented. And the price for uh, so, for example, let me give you an example. There's a, a guy who I profile in the episodic career who 
was a former uh, drug dealer, went to jail, came out, cleaned up, became a construction worker after Katrina because they needed all this labor. But they were pitting um, migrant Latino workers against black New Orleanians and making them do things like remove asbestos without proper equipment. And so it took a whole bunch of local organizers to intervene, and they had to do two types of intervention. One was to really work on these shoddy construction companies and say, you're not going to send people out to get lung cancer without, you know, proper respiratory equipment. But two was they created, um, you know, a, a dual system where there was one organization mainly for black local workers and one for um, migrant Latino workers. And so they were two separate organizations, but they were linked. They were like, you guys cannot underbid each other. You're both going to lose. And so there have to be um, mechanisms, sometimes activist mechanisms, sometimes, you know, um, if the government is good, government mechanisms that make sure that people are not at risk. A, a moment ago, you, you, you mentioned race yes. and uh, you talked about um, this example just just a, a minute ago. How big of a role is is race playing these days in 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 employment? Oh, race is race has never gone away as a factor in employment, but it has um, the the racial wealth gap is at or near an all time high, meaning the difference between the net worth of white Americans and respectively of black Americans and Latinos. And so, what you saw was it. During the Great Recession, people lost both income and wealth. Real household income, meaning after inflation is adjusted for, is less than it was 10 years ago. So for people who think that they're feeling the pinch, you are not dreaming. Um, most, most households are actually bringing in less money than they did 10 years ago. And I think that there's a perception, you know, and, and this gets into the political thing, but there's a perception right now that minorities and immigrants are draining the U.S. economy. Well, immigrants tend to be net job creators. Um, black people and other people of color have been consistently underpaid for doing the same work as white Americans. And so that's, that's not really the problem. The problem is that we have a system that doesn't value most workers, I would say, um, doesn't offer security, doesn't offer um, job training on the job. People right now are hustling to keep building their skills outside of the workplace because they, they aren't getting them built. But there's also a lot of misplaced racial resentment of both black and Latino and immigrant workers. Um, that's not the problem. I mean, white Americans are still earning the most of any racial category. But there is, as we see in this election, a lot of racial resentment that the the losses in income are somehow coming from non-whites and immigrants, which is not the case. It's a restructuring of the economy and to and to a certain extent restructuring of tax law, which has allowed some corporations to do. And what's interesting here, and I know I'm digressing a bit, but both Bernie Sanders and Donald Trump talk about corporate inversions, which is one way that corporations essentially, you know, a big corporation in the U.S. will sell itself, not really, or, you know, be acquired by an international corporation in order to avoid taxes. 
But it's interesting that both Trump and Sanders are from different sides of the political spectrum, but both populist in some broad sense are are hammering home that U.S. corporations are allowed to basically drain the coffers of American society by doing this legal but I feel immoral act. And so hopefully at least one positive thing that could come out of this election would be for us to really look at at taxation and the ways in which there are these, you know, perfectly legal, but I would argue immoral loopholes. In the book, um, you write about the role of disruption. It is something that most people are aware of. Many people have experienced the role of disruption in, uh, in employment. What sorts of things can people do to become, well, disruption-proof? First of all, I don't think there's any such thing as being disruption-proof, but I do think that lifelong learning and networking are the two most important things that you have to keep in mind. And lifelong learning can be tricky because um, a lot of uh, jobs programs that have been sort of, you know, federally or state-funded sometimes trains, train people for jobs that are disappearing anyway. So you first of all have to pick wisely what you retrain in. But retraining doesn't have to be like this big thing where you switch careers. It's more like, let's say that you're an HR manager and you've always used some internal software to just, you know, log people's names and stuff. And then you notice that most most of the HR industry is moving to a different platform. Well, you should train in that platform even if you're not using it yet so that you can be that person when your boss says, hey, we're thinking about, you know, so-and-so. You can be like, I already know that. You know, you want to be that person who's a step ahead of the game. And so there's all these different things, um, free online courses. Some some are called MOOCs, which stands for Massively, Massively Open Online Course. So you can... Uh, find courses at places like Stanford University, but you can take them online for free. There is state, federal, and local job retraining funding. But you, again, you have to be careful that what you're spending your time retraining in is actually a viable field. And, um, And also you just have to, you know, I think it's, I feel, I'm an information sponge. I love to read the newspaper, listen to public radio, all of these things. And a lot of people are lukewarm about it. But you have to know what's going on. So right now we're seeing, for example, in the energy industry, all these people moved to the Dakotas to get into the fracking industry. But the the economics of energy production now have lowered the price of oil. People relocated and now they're out of work and having to, to exit. So you have to pay attention to what's going on in the world in order to preserve your job. You can't just pay attention to, like, did I work nine to five? Or, you know, am I doing a good job right now? Because if you are doing a good job on the Titanic, you are still sinking. That was journalist and author Farai Chidea. Her new book is The Episodic Career. She spoke with WDET's Jerome Vaughn. Stephen, up next, Stephen talks to an author about the Supreme Court case that allows people to be, allowed people to be sterilized against their will. That's coming up next. Thank you.